it's Tuesday and this is Allegra with your weekly dose of modern life. Healthier, easier, more fun. On today's show I'm going to talk about why I think the world would be a better place if everyone pursued their passion. Then we're going to have a friendly chat with my friend Angela White Randolph who just left the only employer she's ever known, where she's worked for over 20 years, in order to do just that, pursue her passion. Then I'm going to talk about a subject that I am passionate about, which is ghee. What is ghee, you ask? Well, you'll have to stick around to find out. All this and more after this brief musical interlude. See you after the tunes. We're back. And now for why I think the world would be a better place if everyone pursued their passion. See, when I was a little girl, I loved to cook and I loved to read. And now I'm pursuing passions that fulfill both of those loves. But it took me a long time to get to this point. And I think the reason why is that the way I was educated is I was taught that I should do this and I should do that. And my personal interests, my passions, my gifts were not nurtured. And I've come to believe that the whole point of love, the whole point of life is to become your best version of yourself and then to share that with the world because it's impossible to be too much you, right? I mean, let's say you're a color. Let's say your color is red. There's no such thing as being too red, right? So if your gift is that you are funny, I truly believe that there, it's impossible for you to be too much funny. If your gift is cleaning, I believe it's impossible for you to be too much cleaning. In fact, I have a friend whose New Year's resolution, funny enough, is to vacuum less. She loves to vacuum. The problem is, because she only has her own house to vacuum, she's become a tad bit compulsive about it. But wouldn't the world be an amazing place if whatever it is that you loved to do, you could do every day, all day long, to the best of your ability and share that gift with the world. Can you imagine how happy everyone would be if they got to do that? I mean, just close your eyes for a second. Close your eyes and imagine that you are pursuing your passion and making a fair wage doing so. And that your spouse or partner or significant other is also pursuing their passion and getting paid a fair wage. They're not making a lot of money, but you guys can live, you can travel, you can pay the bills. Things are good. And you have these your kids, let's say you have kids and they're going to school and they're studying their passion and they come home jazzed to share with you what they learned today about their passion. Can you imagine how exciting every day would be and how happy everyone would be if that is what was happening. And I truly believe that there is something out there for everyone. In fact, one of my favorite books, if you have the chance, there's a fantastic book called Looking Backwards by Edward Bellamy. 
And in this book, he describes a utopia where people are able to live their passion and where wages are set up in such a way so that it is fair. And I love the way he set it up. So I just want to put that out there. If our educational system was set up in order to recognize and nurture individual children's passions, no matter what they are, and allow them to fully develop it, I just think the world would be so exciting in one generation. We could create that kind of culture change in one generation if we can just nurture the, ch the passion of the children in our lives and allow them to become who they truly are and share that gift with the world. Coming up next, I'm going to introduce you to my friend, Angela, who has just left the only job she's ever known in order to figure out what her passion is. After the tunes. Hello world, I am here with my friend Angela White Randolph and there are many reasons why I invited Angela to be a recurring guest on my podcast, but let's just start with the basics. Hey Angela, how are you? Well, how are you Allegra? I'm great, thanks. So Angela and I have known each other for a long time, uh, we're, what is it, 16 years, 17, 18 years, 18 years. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't believe I can say that, 18 years. We met when both of us were getting our MBAs. And let's just start with the easy stuff, Angela. Let's start with your professional background. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so straight out of undergraduate, I went into a Fortune 200 company. I went into pharmaceuticals and sales and then went through the sales ranks, went into marketing, um, did marketing for several years in the U.S., as well as work on global brands um, through my career, multiple different um, disease states. And um, sort of just recently, um, I took a step out and I, um, I've left, left the company that I've worked with and the industry that I worked in um, for over 20 years. And I want to talk about that a little bit later on. So we'll talk about your decision to leave. But uh, you were working for a really big company, so Fortune 200. I think you told me that you managed brands that generated in excess of a billion dollars a year, right? Yes, I have. That is a big yeah. number. And so you worked, so you've done the corporate America thing, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you as a recurring guest, because in that role, you can speak to a couple of different topics. So tell us about some of the things that you feel comfortable talking about with regards to the workplace? Yeah, so um, throughout my course working with my company, um, there were, it's a really large company, and so there were um, opportunities to um, you know, start, like incubate uh, small businesses within the company. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a chance to start new organizations within, within my larger um, Firm that I found um, very invigorating, sort of the entrepreneurship uh, within a company, sort of entrepreneurship is what we call it now. Mm -hmm. Back then, it didn't necessarily have a name. Right. <laughs> um, also, <laughs> also um, you know, as a woman in a minority, um, I found and learned uh, how to navigate 
the corporate environment and corporate America. I think that's a skill within itself. Absolutely. Um, that you learn over, yeah, yeah, that you learn over, over time. Um, and, you know, just basic marketing and business acumen. Those are the things that really um, I sort of pull from, from my previous work experience as, as well as um, a little bit of Six Sigma, which basically means process improvement. You know, how do you take an existing process and make it better? Or how do you design um, something from scratch uh, in terms of making uh, a, a process to get something done? And so those are the, the kinds of things from a business uh, standpoint that I'm quite comfortable talking about and have some experience in. And for people who don't know, if you Google Six Sigma, you'll get a lot of information, but it's a, it's a way to improve processes. So it's a very, yeah. it's a very MBA term. It's up there with, uh, right. How you, how do you compensate people in order to, how do you, <laughs> oh my gosh, now I'm blanking on the term. What's the term that's not a real word for how you, uh, in, incentivize, right? Incentivize. <laughs> how do you incentivize people through compensation systems? Yeah, that's all that stuff we learned back in the day. Right, back in the day. <laughs> and you're also a mom. So you have yeah. you have three children. And Yes, I do. And this is actually part of your story. So as I recall it, about 10 years ago, you started, maybe not exactly 10, but about 10 years ago, you started questioning whether or not you were fulfilling your highest purpose. And as you were trying to figure out what was happening life got in the way in a big way, right? Can you tell us a right, little bit about that? Right. Sure, sure, happy to. Um, so as you said, a, a while back, over a decade ago, I was just sort of pondering what's the purpose of life and am I, you know, is it working for uh, this company for the rest of my life? It just seemed somewhat unfulfilling. And so I started to find, I started to look at different um, things that were really my passion and sort of themes that have come up throughout my life and started to say, hey, if I wanted to focus on, in on those, what would I really be doing if I was focusing um, in on these areas? And in the midst of all of that, we, um, you know, we see family a lot. We travel to see family. We didn't think twice about hitting the road to go see fam. And uh, on Mother's Day, we were headed to Nashville, Tennessee, uh, which is a trip we make quite often as a family, me, my two sons, and my husband. And we had a car accident. And uh, it was Mother's Day, and and on that day, our lives changed significantly when we lost our son in the car accident. Um, and then we also that same day lost my mother-in-law um, up on hearing of the accident, the car accident we had. She actually um, passed away of what we believe to be a, you know, a heart attack from from what the doctors um, had shared with us. But the, that moment was, or that time period in my life was a time that I had really sort of stopped and began to reflect about what is our purpose in life even more and started, started to really get those wheels turning around what I wanted to do with the, the rest of my life. And I just want to expand a little bit on the accident because it, you, you, you know, it's been, it's been five years or almost six years now. And so you, you talk about it. Uh, you know, in a with a little bit of distance now. However, when it happened, yeah. you were thrown from the car. You had been wearing a seatbelt. You were ejected from the car. Your shoes fell off. I remember you telling me that the first thing you remember after the accident was wondering why your face was wet. 
and why you were cold. And it was because you were lying by the side of the road and it was raining and your shoes were gone. And and it was your younger son who passed. Your elder son was wounded significantly. And so it was, and and your mother-in-law, she passed when she heard that her younger grandson had been killed in the car accident. So, I mean, it was in. It was an incredibly dramatic, you know, I don't want to put a value judgment by saying traumatic, I, you know, but it was a very dramatic 24-hour period, right? And, yes. yes, it was. It was. And, and afterwards, your life was full of appointments required for your recovery, right? Tell us a little bit about the period yeah. right after. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's almost, it sounds almost like an understatement when you think back, when I think back to it, but um, yes, our, our lives changed drastically, and we were in the hospital for some time, my son and myself, um, and I was actually in, in a rehab hospital afterwards, but when we finally made it back to our, our own home after uh, convalescing at these facilities, you know, a, a day in our life would be you know, multiple doctor's appointment. I myself would have three, at least my son, maybe two. He significantly had, um, uh, he had injuries to his dominant hand, his writing hand, he's right-handed. Uh, and he was young at that time. He was just in first grade. So he was learning how to write. So it was just a really, um, it, uh, there's no good time uh, for an accident, but it was a, a, a time where it affected him personally and his sort of matriculation into, you know, in school and how he was doing in school. But we literally were out of school three days, three days, um, a week, actually three times a week with appointments for his hand surgery. My appointments were, appointments were like three a day. It was very time consuming. And, and you know, you have the opportunity to, to come down here at, at some point and visit with us for a bit. I don't know how much of a visit it was. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, so Angela, Angela lives in the Midwest and I live in California and I went out to help her as much as I could. And really that constituted driving her around because she had, as she said, about five between her and her son, about five appointments a day. So imagine going to the doctor 25 times a week and it wasn't just one doctor, right? You had your, you had the doctor that at least for your son, you were actively going into surgery and then there was all this occupational therapy for both you and your son as to how to learn to move again now that your bodies were different right because you had so your neck tell us what happened to your neck yeah so yeah so I um I I like to say um I'm I'm very hard-headed those who know me know I'm very stubborn but yes I what here's one thing that stopped me it was the pavement the asphalt (laughs) Um, but yeah I hit my head (laughs) I hit my head. I had a traumatic brain injury. I also broke my neck in the accident. I ha- also had some um, other um, issues with arteries and um, arteries leading to the brain. I mean, it was just, if there was one thing, there was another. And at, at one point when we were living through it, it sounds crazy now. And it sounds like, um, you know, we might be taking it lightly, but when we were going through it, at some point, we would just have to look at each other as a family and our friends and just say, you really can't make this stuff up. Like how many right. surgeries could a, a child have on his hand? Um, how many doctors can you visit in the course of a day? How many therapists? 
you know, how many cognitive therapists, speech therapists, physical therapists, I, I, who knew that this, there were this many kinds of doctors um, and health, auxiliary health um, professionals uh, in, in medicine. And I even worked in the pharmaceutical industry and I'm like, really? Like, this could be someone's life. And that was our life for, for a significant uh, time after the event, after the accident. And even, and with all that going on, you also still had to adjust to life without your younger son, right? You had to, I don't know if grieve or mourn are the right words because you guys have such a strong faith that it, it wasn't what I would necessarily label as grieving per se. Um, but, you know, you have to do all this recovery and you have this son who's not physically present anymore. Right, right. I think, um, I think people can grieve in a lot of different ways. Uh, and it manifests itself differently with uh, uh, different families, with different people, with different faith, um, faith-based um, groups and, and what you believe in. But for us, um, we're Christians. And so one of the things that made, made things, and I won't say okay, but sort of helped you through, is you know, the thought, well, I've lost my son physically here. You know, he's no longer with me in flesh and blood but I'll see him one day soon. His spirit is still with me. And, and um, in addition, it may sound very strange to some, but it was very comforting to our family to think that, you know, our, our littlest boy, our, our youngest child was you know, right there with his grandmother who they were very, very close. Um, and so she passed away as, as I mentioned before. And so there were some solace in our family as we thought about it. Well, they're together, but yes, through, through all of the rehab and healing and understanding our new normal and how we navigate in it, um, there, yeah, there was a, a process of, uh, of grief and loss um, that we went through as a family. You know, there's an expression, some, I, it goes something like, you know, it's, it's easy to be upbeat when everything's going right. It's when things go wrong that you know what you're really made of and I think what was clear to everyone who was watching you and Reggie or or, you know in your lives was how you can handle not handles the wrong word but just how gracefully you guys recovered from that challenge you know I it's you're a sh- you, you never, yeah, you know, and you and I are the closest of friends. You never once asked, you know, why me? It wasn't, it, there was no blame game involved. It was always a moving forward, um, which I don't know if I've ever oh. said that to you directly. <laughs> <laughs> you have now. <laughs> I have now. But so, so that is our introduction to Angela. Her bio is on my website at allegraramos.com slash podcast. So you can see what sort of topics you could ask Angela about, whether it's about navigating the corporate world as a woman, as a minority, you know, trying to be entrepreneurial within a big company, uh, dealing with, you know, questions about her personal experience with 
with grief and loss. And in my next interview with Angela, which will air in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about her decision to leave the company, the only company that she's ever known in order to pursue her passion. And you can, if you download the free Anchor FM app, I know most of you listen on iTunes and Google Play, which is awesome. You can try writing to us there. I'm not sure how that works, but if you download the free Anchor FM app, you can actually call in with an actual question that I can play on the air. Or you can email us at hello at AllegraRamos.com. Thanks, Angela. Thanks, Allegra. Coming up next, my tip about ghee. We're back. And now for my tip about ghee. Now, you might be asking, what is ghee? Ghee is clarified butter oil. What does that mean? It means that you take butter and you separate out the water and the protein, and all you're left with is the pure oil, which kind of looks and tastes a little bit like the oil that you put on movie popcorn, funny enough. Now, why do I love ghee? Well, I love ghee for a lot of reasons, but let me just give you a little background. Ghee is very typical in Indian cuisine, East Indian cuisine, and under Ayurvedic medicine, which is a philosophy in Indian culture, ghee is seen as something that is medicinal and therapeutic. Now that's not why I cook with ghee. I cook with ghee because I learned a long time ago that it had a really high smoking point. Now, if you've ever noticed when you cook with certain oils, you might notice that they start to smoke really quickly and that whatever you cook in them burns really quickly. The reason why is that different oils have different smoking points, meaning that you can cook things longer and hotter with certain oils than others. And you might have noticed when you're shopping for oils, there'll be a little temperature rating and I'll say refined for high heat or refined for medium heat or whatever the case may be. Well, there have been a lot of studies recently about how vegetable oils break down under high heat, certain vegetable oils, especially rapeseed oil, which is better known as canola oil, and safflower oil and sunflower seed oil, especially these oils, about how they break down into these things called adalahides, which if you Google it, it'll tell you all sorts of things about what's bad about it. But there have been a lot of studies about this and I have been cooking for almost 10 years now, I think, with, with ghee exclusively. And I love it. I mean, I think it's just easier to cook with it. I love the flavor that it imparts. I love that I can caramelize my onions to a wonderful degree and they don't burn. So ghee is just a really, really wonderful neutral oil to cook with. And it's really good for you as well. Now, how to get ghee? Well, you can buy ghee. However, an Ayurvedic practitioner told me once that ghee that has been refrigerated actually loses some of its medicinal properties. I've never actually researched that. I can't say. But the thing is, is I want grass-fed ghee, meaning that the cows that have created the butter have been pasture-raised, so they've been eating grass, which means that you're getting more omega-3s, which is a whole other discussion, which we won't get into right now. But... Grass-fed butter is really, grass-fed ghee is really important, and it can be hard to find grass-fed ghee. Now, it's easier nowadays with the internet, so you might be able to find grass-fed ghee on the internet or at your local specialty store. But if you can't, you can always make your own ghee. 
I am going to post a video this week on YouTube and on my website showing you how to make ghee. And so check it out. The way you can find it is if you go to my website, AllegraRamos.com, and you sign up to follow me, you'll be notified when the video is posted. You can also go to my YouTube channel, which is YouTube.com slash AllegraRamos. And that's it for today's show. So check out Ghee. You're going to love it. It's awesome. And thanks for tuning in today. If you thought my show was fun or useful, please let me know by sending me email, leaving me messages, or even by giving me a tip through Patreon at patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Allegra Ramos. I have great thank you gifts from my supporters, and I look forward to when I have 500 patrons, which will allow me to hire an editor so that I can do more of what I love, which is providing you with great content that makes your life healthier, easier, and more fun. I will see you next Tuesday for your weekly dose of my podcast. We will be talking to my friend Kayla, who did what a lot of people dream of, which is sold everything she had and got out of Dodge. I'm sure you'll love to hear about her. Subscribe to my podcast at iTunes. Leave me a message at iTunes. And if you'd like to submit questions, email me at hello at AllegraRamos.com or call into my show from the free Anchor FM app so I can play your question on the air. Until next time, be a spark in the world. Over and out. Thank you.